selections from the dolorous passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Continuing Chapter 1, Jesus in the Garden of Olives. I beheld with horror that this series of apparitions that afflicted Jesus consisted of all the outrages offered to our Lord in the Blessed Eucharist, whether by neglect, irreverence, and omission of that what was due to him, by open contempt, abuse, and the most awful sacrileges, by the worship of worldly idols, by spiritual darkness and false knowledge, or finally, by error, incredulity, fanaticism, hatred, and open persecution. Among these I saw many blind men who would not see the truth, paralytic men who would not advance according to its directions on the road leading to eternal life, deaf men who refused to listen to its warnings and threats, dumb men who would never use their voices in its defense, and finally, children who were led astray by following parents and teachers filled with the love of the world and forgetfulness of God, who were fed on earthly luxuries, drunk with false wisdom, and loathing all that pertained to religion. Among the latter, the sight of whom grieved me especially because Jesus so loved children, I saw many irreverent, ill-behaved acolytes who did not honor our Lord in the holy ceremonies in which they took a part. I beheld with terror that many priests, some of whom even fancied themselves full of faith and piety, also outraged Jesus in the adorable sacrament. I saw many who believed and taught the doctrine of the real presence, but did not sufficiently take it to heart, for they forgot and neglected the church, the altar, the tabernacle, the chalice, the monstrance, all that is used in his worship or to adorn his house. Entire neglect reigned everywhere. All things were left to molder away in dust and filth, and the worship of God was, if not inwardly profaned, at least outwardly dishonored. Nor did this arise from real poverty, but from indifference, sloth, preoccupation of mind about vain earthly concerns, and often also from egotism and spiritual death. For I saw neglect of this kind in churches the pastors and congregations of which were rich, or at least tolerably well off. I saw many others in which worldly, tasteless, unsuitable ornaments had replaced the magnificent adornments of a more pious age. I saw that often the poorest of men were better lodged in their cottages than the master of heaven and earth in his churches. Oh, how deeply did the inhospitality of men grieve Jesus, who had given himself to them to be their food. Truly, there is no need to be rich in order to receive him who rewards a hundredfold the glass of cold water given to the thirsty. But how shameful is not our conduct when in giving drink to the divine Lord, who thirsts for our souls, we give him corrupted water in a filthy glass. In consequence of all this neglect, I saw the weak scandalized, the adorable sacrament profaned, the churches deserted, and the priests despised. This state of impurity and negligence extended even to the souls of the faithful, who left the tabernacle of their hearts 
unprepared and uncleansed when Jesus was about to enter them, exactly the same as they left his tabernacle on the altar. Were I to speak for an entire year, I could never detail all the insults offered to Jesus in the adorable sacrament which were made known to me in this way. It was indeed an awful sight, for I saw the church as the body of Christ, and bands of men who were separating themselves from the church mangled and tore off whole pieces of his living flesh. Alas, he looked at them in the most touching manner, and lamented that they should thus cause their own eternal loss. He had given his own divine self to us for our food in the Holy Sacrament, in order to unite in one body, that of the church his spouse, men who were to an infinite extent divided and separated from each other. And now he beheld himself torn and rent in twain in that very body, for his principal work of love, the Holy Communion, in which men should have been made wholly one, was become by the malice of false teachers the subject of separation. I beheld whole nations thus snatched out of his bosom, and deprived of any participation in the treasures of graces left to the church. Finally, I saw all who were separated from the church, plunged into the depths of infidelity, superstition, heresy, and false worldly philosophy. They gave vent to their fierce rage by joining together in large bodies to attack the church, being urged on by the serpent which was disporting itself in the midst of them. Alas, it was as though Jesus himself had been torn into a thousand pieces. I saw the blood flowing in large drops down the pale face of our Savior, his hair matted together, and his beard bloody and entangled. After the vision would... and returned to his disciples, but he tottered as he walked. His appearance was that of a man covered with wounds and bending beneath a heavy burden, and he stumbled at every step. When he came up to the three apostles, they were not lying down asleep as they had been the first time, but their heads were covered, and they had sunk down on their knees in an attitude often assumed by the people of that country when in sorrow or desiring to pray. They had fallen asleep, overpowered by grief and fatigue. Jesus, trembling and groaning, drew nigh to them, and they awoke. But when by the light of the moon they saw him standing before him, his face pale and bloody, and his hair in disorder, their weary eyes did not at the first moment recognize him, for he was indescribably changed. He clasped his hands together, upon which they arose and lovingly supported him in their arms, and he told them in sorrowful accents, that the next day he should be put to death, that in one hour's time he should be seized, led before a tribunal, maltreated, outraged, scourged, and finally put to a most cruel death. He besought them to console his mother, and also Magdalene. They made no reply, for they knew not what to say, so greatly had his appearance and language alarmed them, and they even thought his mind must be wandering. When he desired to return to the grotto, he had not strength to walk. I saw John and James lead him back, 
and return when he had entered the grotto. It was then about a quarter past eleven. During this agony of Jesus, I saw the Blessed Virgin also overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish of soul in the house of Mary, the mother of Mark. She was with Magdalene and Mary in the garden belonging to the house, and almost prostrate from grief, with her whole body bowed down as she knelt. She fainted several times, for she beheld in spirit different portions of the agony of Jesus. I saw Jesus still praying in the grotto, struggling against the repugnance to suffering which belonged to human nature, and abandoning himself wholly to the will of his eternal Father. Here the abyss opened before him, and he had a vision of the first part of limbo. He saw Adam and Eve, the patriarchs, prophets, and just men, the parents of his mother, and John the Baptist, awaiting his arrival in the lower world with such intense longing that the sight strengthened and gave fresh courage to his loving heart. His death was to open heaven to these captives. His death was to deliver them out of that prison in which they were languishing in eager hope. When Jesus had, with deep emotion, looked upon these saints of antiquity, angels presented to him all the bands of saints of future ages, who, joining their labors to the merits of his passion, were through him to be united to his heavenly Father. Most beautiful and consoling was this vision, in which he beheld salvation and sanctification flowing forth in ceaseless streams from the fountain of redemption opened by his death. The apostles, disciples, virgins, and holy women, the martyrs, confessors, hermits, popes, and bishops, and large bands of religious of both sexes, in one word, the entire army of the blessed appeared before him. All bore on their heads triumphal crowns, and the flowers of their crowns differed in form, color, odor, and perfection, according to the difference of the sufferings, labors, and victories which had procured them eternal glory. Their whole life, and all their actions, merits, and power, as well as all the glory of their triumph, came solely from their union with the merits of Jesus Christ. The reciprocal influence exercised by these saints upon each other and the manner in which they all drank from one sole fountain, the adorable sacrament and the passion of our Lord, formed a most touching and wonderful spectacle. All, though indescribably varied, was confused together in infinite harmony and unity, and this unity and diversity was produced by the rays of one single sun, by the passion of the Lord, of the Word made flesh, in whom was life, the light of man, which shined in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The army of the future saints passed before the soul of our Lord, which was thus placed between the desiring patriarchs and the triumphant band of the future blessed. And these two armies joined together, and completing one another, so to speak, surrounded the loving heart of our Savior as with a crown of victory. The most affecting and consoling spectacle bestowed a degree of strength and comfort upon the soul of Jesus. He so loved his brethren and creatures 
that to accomplish the redemption of one single soul, he would have accepted with joy all the sufferings to which he was now devoting himself. This has been taken from The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ from the Visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich published by Tan Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or find them on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network. News and talk for Catholic and other Christians.